Good morning, ladies. Good morning. So this morning we are starting um, Romans 5. And honestly, um, as I approach this chapter, in keeping with our um, analogy of a plane, I felt like I hit turbulence. It was like... I can't hear very well. Can you turn it up? I don't know how to. Where are you? Somebody. I don't want to miss it. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me now? Anyway, as I was saying, I felt like um, in, in approaching Romans 5, I felt like I had hit turbulence in the plane that we were on and um, was really struggling, bumping along. But um, God was gracious and he gave me people to come along, pray for me, pray with me. And um, on Friday, I had Luke and Utah and Alyssa came to pick him up and I got to have a really good talk with Utah. And so he walked me through it. So I really felt like... We got through the turbulence, but um, there's a lot in Romans 5. So, ladies, the seatbelt sign has been illuminated. (laughs) Buckle up. If the oxygen mask falls, make sure to don your own before you help somebody else. You need to make sure that you understand what's going on as we move forward. So, for the last six um, lessons, we have studied, we've learned so much about how we should see ourselves and how outside of the gospel and our acceptance of it, God sees us. We saw that we are enemies of God. We are unrighteous, futile thinkers, foolish, immoral, self-loving, God-dishonoring sinners. We exchange the truth about God for lies and quite happily live in a debased world that meets the requirements of our own comforts and desires. We desire nothing more We deserve, sorry, nothing more than eternal separation from God. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned, all of us have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Then Sarah told us about the plan that God has sent, um, that God has to save us from eternal separation. God's righteousness, righteous requirements to have our sins dealt with so that he could have a relationship with us was met in Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have seen by God, we are seen by God as sinless, righteous, and justified. Romans 3.24, which follows 23, says, 23 says, all have sinned, but 24 says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you remember in our first chapter, Paul makes a profound statement about the gospel. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the gospel which Paul is not ashamed of. This is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Last week, Eva showed us how this free gift of salvation is ours through faith. A faith that can be seen in Abraham. A faith that requires believing, that just requires believing in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. There is nothing we can do to earn this free gift. All we can do and all we can bring to the table to receive this free gift is our need and our desire to live a life grateful for the sacrifice Jesus made for us. This week, as we study chapter 5, we're going to see the consequences of the justified believer's new status. That is peace with God. We will also see how Paul shows us that all of humanity lives in one of two realms, 
the realm of sin and death brought about by Adam or the realm of grace and life brought about by Jesus. So here are our two sections. We're splitting up the, the whole chapter into two sections. Romans 5, 1 to 11 is peace with God. And then I've split that up further. And then Romans 5, 12 to 21 is from Adam to Jesus, which I didn't write. And that one has been split up further. So um, I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to have Sarah read for us. Father God, as we start today, I pray that you would um, calm my nerves. I pray that you would help me to relax. I pray that you would use me. Um, I don't want these to be my words. I want this to be you speaking through me. And um, I pray that hearts would be ready to receive what you have to say to them. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thank you, Sarah. So Paul has spent chapter 1 through 4 showing us that we've been justified through faith. Now he wants to show the justified believer the benefits or results of living this justified life. He connects his teaching in chapter 1 through 4 and chapter 5 with the word therefore. This word shows us that he's going to give us proof of what a justified life gives us. Verses 1 to 2, the beginning of 2, shows us the first benefit that we see as justified believers, and that is peace with God. So let's open up our Bibles. Let's follow along as much as we can. Uh, Romans 5. Oh, see, you've all done it. I'm just a little late on the program. Um, Romans 5, 1 to 2. The phrase peace with God indicates that there was a time when we were not at peace with him. We were God's enemies due to our willful rebellion against him. We were his enemies. We were subject, subjects of his wrath. But because the wrath that we deserve was poured out on Jesus instead of us, we now have peace with God. We are now seen as righteous and forgiven for our willfully selfish and rebellious ways. 
The word peace here does not represent a feeling of well-being and harmony. The benefit of peace with God is not about how we feel. It is about our standing with God. The reality of our salvation is not about whether we feel saved or not. It is about believing and having confidence in what the Bible says and what Jesus did for us. It is through what Jesus did that brings this peace that we can have with God. Verses two, the second part of verse 2 to, through to verse 4 tells us about the second benefit that Paul says we have. And that is a great hope in which to rejoice even in our sufferings. The word rejoice in this passage could more accurately be used as taking confidence in. I don't know about you, but for me, the word rejoice is a celebratory type of word. Rejoicing in hope in difficulties is something that does not come natural, nor does it even seem realistic. But being confident in the hope that we have from God seems more easily, seems easier to do. Having preached to people for many years, Paul knew that those receiving or hearing this letter would likely take this list of blessing in one of two ways. He knew that some people would either hear this list of blessings and, and benefits as a promise that believers would have a trouble-free existence. That life as a believer in Jesus' saving act would be a bed of roses. Then, when troubles and struggles came, they could potentially write Paul off as a liar. On the other hand, Paul knew that there were believers in Jesus that knew that suffering did not stop with conversion. These people would have seen Paul as an unrealistic dreamer, knowing that life was not all kittens and rainbows. They knew the truth about living a Christian life. Douglas Moo explained it this way. Paul takes the offensive. Yes, he says in effect, I know Christians will continue to suffer, but life's difficulties do not contradict what I have been saying about the wonderful blessing of being a Christian. In fact, God actually uses them to bring us even greater blessing. Moo goes on to explain that the key is in the way we respond to the difficulties that come our way. Again, he says, what we must do is to recognize that God uses the difficulties to build into our lives perseverance and endurance, which in turn leads to character. And character is that quality that comes from being proved. It is because of this process that takes place in us during trials that we can rejoice or take confidence in the fact that God is shaping us to be more like him, which in turn will bring us more blessing. Our suffering can lead us to hope just as resistance strengthens a muscle. So challenges will strengthen our hope. Our ultimate hope is in the life to come where we are together for eternity with God who gave his son for us. What greater hope is there than that? For those of you here today or listening that are facing trials of your own right now, I pray that I'm not sounding trite. But as believers in the sacrifice that was made for us by Jesus and the blessing that brings us, I pray that you are able to look at the trials Jesus endured for us and our benefits from us sorry, our benefits from it, and let that be the reason to endure and persevere. <coughs> Paul looked forward to the glory to come. 
In Philippians 3 verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This verse gives us a glimpse of Paul's perspective on life and the difficulties and trials it brings. May God make our hearts like Paul's. May God grant you peace and comfort in your trials as you hope in the ultimate glory of God. So moving on, verse 5 to 10 shows us that we can be sure that we, are, that we as believers will receive what we hope for and the promise of God. Paul explains two basic reasons we can be sure or we can have hope. The first one is we can have hope because God loves us in Christ. And the second one is we have hope because God has acted for us in Christ. So to start off, in verse 5, we can see this love through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of believers. It is the Holy Spirit that communicates God's love to us. The term that Paul uses here of pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the same term that was used in Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Paul alludes to the fact that we have received the Holy Spirit as a gift from God to display his love for us. In verse 6 to 8, God's love is displayed for us on the cross in Jesus, in the cross of Jesus. We were not worthy of anyone dying for us to give us anything. Paul points out we were weak, ungodly sinners. It was in this state God looked on us and sent his perfect sinless, righteous son to die for us. As Paul states, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What greater act of love is there? So here's a question. On a day-to-day basis, Where do we normally look to gauge God's love for us? Where do we honestly look? To his word. Yeah, we should. I know I don't. I try to measure up with other Christians, myself. Circumstances. Circumstances. Stick in that. But where should we look? The word and the cross. Like, that's where we should look to see how much God loved us is looking at the cross. The second reason we hope is because God has acted for us in Christ, verses 9 to 10. (coughs) Paul starts off with these verses again by taking a stance where he wants to prove something. He is saying, look, if God has justified us by Jesus' blood, don't you think that we can have confidence that we will be saved by him from the wrath of God? Also, if we are reconciled to God by the death of his son while we were his enemies, don't you think that now that we are reconciled, he will save us by his life? Paul uses the words justification and reconciliation to ensure, to assure his listeners that we can have hope because of what God did through his son, Jesus Christ. These words show that two separate things happened when Jesus died for us. 
We are declared innocent and absolved from the punishment we deserve. That's being justified. And God removes the hostility that existed between us and him because of sin. That's being reconciled. Paul is arguing that if God went to all this to save us while we were sinful and his enemies, he will certainly have a plan to save us from death and wrath at the end of time. Verse 11, Paul reminds us that we should be rejoicing in all these blessings we have received and for the wonderful and certain promise about the blessing God has yet to give us. Paul says hope will not disappoint us because God is working on our behalf through Jesus Christ. So in our books, um, question six, turn to page 78. There's a question that's good to ask and discuss for the closing of this section of um, chapter, sorry, of Romans 5. So number six says, Paul says we should respond to peace with God and hope of glory with joy and exaltation. What sort of things can keep you from responding like this? Wrong focus. Yeah. For sure. Anything else? Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry? Doubt in his love. And that takes us back to looking at the cross, right? All we have to do is look at the cross to see how much he loved us. Anybody else have anything they want to add about that? Circumstances? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think sometimes we don't think peace with God is as important in our daily life. We just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And so it has no hope for us. No joy. I wonder if it would be different if we didn't live here. Mm-hmm. If we didn't live in the affluence that we have and the comforts that we have here is it really a blessing like it is don't get me wrong but really it takes away from that real need anybody else have anything okay we're gonna oh sorry where our focus is and life is busy we don't take the time to like just step back in in the morning and say give the day to the lord and say like show me the opportunities i have show me how 
I can live in your grace and in your peace and be reminded of what you did for us. <coughs> okay, so we're... Um, oh, I was just going to say, no. in Ephesians uh, 1, uh, 19, it says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power mm. for us who believe in him, uh, the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and uh, seated him in the right place of honor. So we, we can always remember that. That, mm -hmm. that was Paul, right? Yeah. That wrote that in yeah. Ephesians, yeah. He's a smart guy, that Paul. <laughs> okay, we're going to read um, Romans 5, 11 to 21 now. I'm not, sorry. <laughs> uh, chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. She's good. She brings life to the scripture. Uh, this section of Romans 5 starts with therefore again. It seems that Paul wants to draw a conclusion to the previous verses. He wants to explain that we have the certainty of our salvation because of what took place through Adam's disobedience and how Jesus' obedience reversed the consequences of Adam's action. Now, this was the portion of scripture that I struggled with. This is where the turbulence hit. I need to be honest here and say that I've always had a difficult time with Jesus being called the second Adam. It seemed wrong. It seemed sacrilegious. How could perfect Jesus be compared with sinful Adam? I honestly had to sit on this for a long time to get comfortable with it. But as I studied and read and meditated on what I read and asked God to reveal the truth to me, I was blessed with this beautiful understanding of how Jesus really is the second and much better Adam. Adam was, as Paul says, a type of the one who was to come. But first, let's look at verse 12. 
It's telling us that sin came into the world through Adam and with sin came death. Then it goes on to say that because of this sin that Adam committed, death came to all people because all have sinned. Adam's sin brought death to all humanity because we all are Adam's descendants and therefore have his curse of death on us because we follow his example of sinfulness. Death came to all through one man's sin. Verse 13 and 14 shows us that all were affected by the consequences of Adam's sin, even before the law was given. These verses can be difficult to understand, but what Paul is saying is that even though the law had not been given yet between Adam and Moses, so because the law wasn't given, technically people didn't know what (coughs) sin was because they had no law to show them, Um, the scripture says sin, sin was not accounted for, but people still died because they had become sinners due to Adam's sin. So the verses from 12 to 14 show us how Adam's disobedience and rebellion brought sin and death to all mankind. Then in verses 15 to 17, Paul teaches us the difference between Adam and Jesus. So on page 81... Question nine. We're going to do this together. Now, I don't know how to do this so that everybody can hear me. Shall I take this with me? I think you can because it's cool. It's got a cord. This thing too? No, that's okay. We'll put that there. I'll take this here. And this will go here. All right. Okay. So we are looking at verses. We're going to get this. This is what I had to do over and over again to understand it. So what we are looking at is the differences. The contrast between Adam and Jesus. Can you, can you be my banner? So first of all, we're going to go, um, we're looking at 15 to 17. So what does, oh, we need the Bible. <laughs> okay, so what are we, um, what are some of the differences that, and Paul is really clear about how he lists things. So he says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, shows us that he's comparing, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay, so, verse 15. What is one of the contrasts that we see right off the hop? It's in verse 15. Okay, so what did, what did Adam bring? Death. Death and what? Sin, condemnation, and I also have that that was deserved. Does it say that? Those uh, doesn't say that. For some reason, I have written that it was deserved. So these, this is what was deserved because we Adam was sinner. What did Jesus bring? Grace. 
Right. Grace. And justification. Okay, verse 16. What did Adam's sin bring? Judgment. And what did Jesus bring? Deliverance. Yep. What does it say right at the beginning of 16? Free gift. Yep. Free gift. What is that free gift? Grace, right? Okay, one more. 17. Adam's sin, what did it do? So because of one man's trespasses, what reigned? Okay. And Jesus, what did he bring? Right. Isn't that fun? So we're going to do it for 18 and 19 too. So um, in 18 and 19... Paul uses language like so and just as to show comparisons between Jesus and Adam. So we're going to look at 80, page 82 now, question 12. So this is where, the comparison is where I struggled. How can Jesus and Adam be the same? Because they brought totally different things, right? But... The truth is, there is one similarity between the two of them that is a major, besides the fact that they were both men. <laughs> so, 18 to 19. Where's my Bible? I'm just going to read again. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Okay, so Adam, his one, he, he, okay, what does it say about Adam in verse 18? Sin brought condemnation. Okay. Everyone. Yeah. So sin, his sin brought condemnation. For all. And what does it, how does it say, what did Jesus' act do? Justification. Justification and what? Okay. Now, 19. What does it say? Isn't it cool how, like, Paul does this, though? Like, <laughs> that you can see how he, maybe it's not so cool for you. It's super cool for me. <laughs> so, 19, what does it say? So, for one man's what? What happened to man? Sinners. Disobedience. Sinners. What did Jesus do? Obedience. And brings righteousness. Okay, so how can we sum up the two differences to make a comparison between the two? If we're to summarize this list... How do the two compare? The two did two totally different things, which brought about two completely different um, results. But what is the comparison? It was for all man. Right. 
It was for all men, for sure. That's it. That's it. One act. Each of them, each man did one thing that changed the course of humanity. Adam sinned, brought death and sin to everyone. Jesus died and brought life to everyone. There's the comparison. That's when it got exciting for me. (laughs) Once I saw that there actually was a reason to call Jesus the second Adam, that's when it got exciting for me. In each case, one man's act changed the course of humanity. As one commentator said, we might be surprised that Paul should compare Christ with Adam, but in terms of human history, they were both inaugurators. (laughs) Inaugurate. They both started something. (laughs) Adam started an era of sin and death that affected all mankind, and Christ, in the same way, started an era of grace that will affect all mankind and which will endure for eternity. Doesn't it make more sense when we look at it like this and we really study it? It becomes so much more clear to me. And I took the time that I needed to to really sit down, but it was beautiful and understandable after that. To end the chapter in verse 20 to 21, Paul teaches about the law and how it magnifies the reign of God, sorry, the reign of grace brought by Christ. As a reminder, we know that people died before the law was given as a consequence for Adam's sin. But Paul says the law came in to increase the trespass. And when sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what Paul is saying is that the law increases sin and thereby increases grace. So how did the law increase sin? The law increased sin by defining what was right and what what was wrong. And because the law shows us what is right and what is wrong, breaking the law makes that act more willful and wicked, therefore increasing the sin. Paul says that the law increases grace because it shows God's gift of righteousness and eternal life to be even more generous. Knowing the law magnifies the effects of sin and therefore magnifies God's saving grace even more. Now we really need to understand this concept before we move into next week. Because just like in the previous chapters, Paul links the teaching from one chapter to the next. Next week, Bev's teaching in chapter 6 and it's linked to the end of chapter 5. If you're still unsure about the differences and similarities between Adam and Jesus or how the law makes grace abound or what the benefits of the believer what is the benefit to the believer don't be afraid to review this chapter and look for answers to the questions you have. I know any one of the teachers would be glad to take time to work through any of the questions that you might have or at the very least direct you to a resource to help you through your questions. So are you living in the realm of Adam, a life of willful rebellion that brings death and eternal separation from God? Or are you living in the realm of Jesus, a life that accepts the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, believing in his death and resurrection and finding hope in the eternal life that he brings? There's no third option. We have a choice to either live and reign with him forever or let sin reign in us forever and be eternally separated from God. My prayer is that this study in Romans transforms our thinking, 
that we truly see and understand what Jesus' death did for us, that we truly grasped what we have been saved from and what we can look forward to. So that's it. We did it. I'm just going to pray, and then we're done. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for making what is confusing clear to me. Thank you that when we spend time really studying your word, you reward us with understanding and with seeing things in a new light. Father, we pray that as we go forward in this week that you would just protect each of the families that is represented here. We pray for those that couldn't be here today that you would just care for them as well. Thank you for this time, dear Father, that we live in this country where we're free to really study and worship you without fear of condemnation. In your name we pray, amen. Does anybody have, I'm just going to turn this off.